This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hello, everyone. It's Christoph Trapp, your host of the Business Storytelling Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Michael Brenner, speaker, CEO, and author of Mean People Suck. I can't <laughs> say I disagree with that statement. Michael, how's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me, Christoph. So probably not too many people disagree with that yeah. book title, I would think. Yeah, it's it it gets a resounding clarification, validation from just about everybody who hears it. And you know, it's how many books have you written? A number. So it's the first I wrote by myself. It's the third co. You know, I wrote two co-authored, um, and this was the first independent. Awesome. And yeah. so talk talk about how um, what prompted the the book and what prompted the topic. Yeah, well, as you know, we've known each other for quite a while and part of this, you know, content world that we're all in. And, um, you know, my last book was the or my first book, I should say, was the content formula, as you know, which which talked about and answered the biggest problem that I had heard, the biggest challenge I had heard from brand marketers on why did you why should they create content versus ads? And the answer was, well, it gives you the best ROI. And, and so I wrote the book, the content formula to try to define that. But when I went back to the brand marketers and CMOs, you know, who all had their arms crossed when I first talked about content marketing in, you know, 2011 and 2012 and, you know, many years ago, uh, they, none of them were doing content marketing. And, and I said, I gave you the answer. I, you know, solved the problem. I told you it was all about, you know, driving business. And they said, well, you know, I would love to do it, but unfortunately I got a boss who doesn't believe in it and, and he's, a, he's a jerk, <laughs> you know, or she's, a, she's mean, you know, it's kind of a similar story everywhere I went. And I talked to content marketers all over the industry and they're all miserable in their jobs <laughs> just about because they have a boss who doesn't believe in what they do. And so I wrote the book, um, not just to talk to the issue in marketing, but also to the issue I found in the course of the many numerous jobs that I had in many companies and that was that the thing that gets in the way for us doing the right thing for our customers is typically this sort of hierarchical command and control structure that organizations still have that largely relies and celebrates and promotes the, you know, the manager who screams at people and tells them what to do. And so that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book to try to get to the real problem why brands don't create more helpful content is because there's a, a, a manager, sometimes in marketing and sometimes not who is asking their team to do something else. And generally that's promote the business, talk about us, we're awesome. You know, let's, you know, be selfish and, and uh, you know, all the kinds of um, narcissistic behaviors that we see from organizations and leaders all the time. And so that's why I wrote the book. So, oh, so many things to even jump <laughs> off of there um, just by, by saying all that. So let's get started with like, I mean, it sounds so simple, but what is the definition of being mean? So for example, um, just because a boss, I mean, my daughter, right, age 12, mm -hmm. tells me I'm mean all the time. <laughs> and I, I, I would argue I'm not mean at all. I just have a different priority or a different goal. And my goal is to for you to be safe and yeah. not, you yes. know, 
um, whatever. Yes. So, so what's the difference between diff, um, different goals and actually truly being mean? And what, what does that look yeah. like? So I have a 12, 13 and 16 year old and they all think I suck. So um, <laughs> I, I think the context is very different because as a parent, we, you know, we have to, we have to protect our kids. We're legally responsible for protecting our children from themselves and, and the harms that the world can throw at them. But it, the context in business is very different. And, and here's what I mean. Um, I had a manager who I did not get along with for a long time. And at one point I met with all of his peers and I met with all of our stakeholders and I found out what he really wanted. I found out what they wanted him to be doing in our team. I found out what their, what our stakeholders were expecting of us. And so I went to him and I said, listen, you want, and our stakeholders want a chocolate cake and you've hired me because I'm good at baking cakes. So you can't tell me that you want a chocolate cake and also what ingredients I should use to bake it. And that's the difference between a work context and a life, you know, parenting context is we get hired to do a job. And so a mean boss is one that says, my job is to tell you what to do. You don't need to understand why you don't need to understand who it's for. Just do what, what you're told. And that is perfect for parenting. And it's terrible for a work environment where we hire adults to do jobs because they're, they're valuable, relevant, experienced, smart people. And so that's the, the difference between a mean and a not mean person is the person, the manager who believes their job is to tell somebody what to do. That's not what a manager's job is. Even Steve Jobs, who many people think is mean, <laughs> was a mean guy. Even <laughs> he said, our, you know, as leaders, we hire people to do good jobs and then let them do that, you know, let them do uh, the thing that they're good at doing, share their expertise and passion with the world. So maybe if, you know, if, if people think, um, being mean in this context also means maybe you're just micromanaging, right? You're not trying to be mean on purpose, like the way I think of mean necessarily. Um, but what's interesting about that statement, there's a hundred ways to get to everything, right? So mm -hmm. like, I mean, I, I can tell you, um, I want to reach this audience and there is, I can just think of 10 strategies on how to achieve that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I guess that's why that's more and more important. Mm -hmm. Um, so how about the, the so how, how do companies, how do you get them to change? How do you, yeah. I mean, a lot of companies have the command and control, mm -hmm. um, yeah. not, not a matrix. I mean, I don't know if even if you're uh, recommending a matrix model or what you're recommending, but how do you get out of that? So in the book, I actually propose, and, and I, you know, I have to say, uh, there are a lot of smart people in the world and I'm not an organizational design, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of uh, uh, PhD in, in anything, uh, let alone organizational design. But, but uh, I will say I did a lot of reading and I never found anyone who proposed what I, what I tried to very simply propose in the book. And that was what I called the bullseye organization. And, and I, I make fun of the traditional org chart by saying, you know, it's boxes and lines that are supposed to tell us who's above us, who's below us, and really who tells us what to do. And that's really what's broken, you know, in many ways inside organizations. If we look at the stats, you know, the significant majority of people are unhappy in their jobs. Um, the, the reason that they leave is they almost always point to their boss. So we don't leave companies and we don't leave jobs. We leave our boss. And, and so the organizational, the hierarchy, you know, the organizational structures we live in today are the problem in, in many cases for all of this. The solution, though, is very simple. And, and I call it the bullseye because it looks exactly like what a bullseye looks like. But at the center is not the boss. It's not the employee, but it's the most important person of the organization. It's the customer. 
And, and the, the, you know, and that sounds like, Oh, that's a nice, you know, that's a nice pretty picture. Um, and if your audience is interested, I I'm happy to send out the uh, images mm-hmm. from the book in a, I have like an audio book companion guide um, where they can see the image. But the point is it's an organizational operating model. And here's what I mean. I tell a couple of stories in the book. Um, you're a low level employee and you're asked to go put your logo on the side of a building for $20 million. And you say, you know what? Um, 85%, and this is a real story from the book I tell, 85% of our audience, they're not interested in that sport that we want to stick the logo on the side of a building for. So why would we do that? Now, that's a person who's asking what's in it for the customer before we spend $20 million. That's, that's someone who puts the customer at the center of the organization. And it takes a lot of courage, right? It's easy if you're the boss. It's easier if you're the CEO. I, t- I talk a couple of examples of CEOs from Microsoft and Lego and SAP um, where they, you know, they've, they've put empathy as a core value of the organization. It's easy when you're the CEO. But what if you're a low-level marketing person and you're looking at a $20 million budget to do a sponsorship and you don't think it's going to work? That's the model that I propose is if we all ask what's in it for the customer, we get away from this hero worship of executives and we start actually putting the customer at the center of everything we do. The hero worship. I have not heard that before. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, so, but, but asking, so whether the, the boss is mean or nice or whatever, yeah. Yeah. asking questions and chat and really, ch- I grew up as a journalist, right? I could uh-huh. ask anybody, um, Hey, what color is the sky? And they think I'm questioning them. Right. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I'm making a statement versus asking a question. Uh, how, do we, how do people learn to ask those questions? I mean, it's a little bit of a two-way street, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I actually devote a whole chapter. Um, there's two chapters to, to an- that answer, to try to answer. This is a really difficult, challenging um, question. And, and I think, number one, there, well, there are two skills that I think are really lacking in, in the professional world that you don't take a course really for either of these um, unless you're an English literature major like me. Um, uh, but the first one is, is how to present a business case. And so what I mean by that is, and and I I was really lucky to have an amazing, um, manager who some people thought was mean, but for some reason he and I got along really well. And, and he, uh, when I first got a a role under him, he said, you know, what do you think you're going to do? And I, I had this idea and that idea. He's like, you know what? That sounds great, but I want you to put a business case together. I want you to tell me what your idea is in a formal way. I want you to define the, the market opportunity. Talk about the considerations you put against the budget. Show me what the project plan might look like and tell me why we think this is going to produce a return on investment. Go meet with the finance team. Validate your assumptions. And, and it really forced me. It took me forever. I had to write a 30-page document. you know. And I was like, wow, no, why has no one ever taught me this before? And, and so that's number one. And I, I spent a chapter in the book talking about that. The second one that I did, I did have a course on in college because I was an English lit major, but most business majors don't, is storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, in many cases, we think that a, a presentation should be, you know, it's the tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them what you told them. And, you know, it's, <laughs> that's the absolute worst way to present a new idea. The, the best way is to present the audience as the hero of the story, you know, and we, you, you as a journalist know very well the components of a great story, but in the book, I try to simplify. I use the Pixar storytelling formula and um, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. I use a couple of simple elements and some examples to try to tell people and share with people. How do you put together a, a pitch deck that someone who's skeptical and maybe a little bit mean might understand? 
Um, and so those are the two skills that I think are really, really lacking in, in today's world that can help us to break through. And then how do you, I mean, there's also, that's like the, the one extreme, right? You have to put together a long document. Um, how about day to day? I mean, I'm even when I'm talking with content teams, yeah. you know, they're, they're trying to figure things out, you know, like, are we doing this? Are we doing that? Somebody says, oh, we should do that. And if that person is the boss, sometimes they go, oh, that was the order. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I used to uh, joke about some of the companies I worked in where people would say my VP, like what, what a weird thing to say, my VP, like, like there's this ownership structure and because you're dropping two letters means that it comes <clears> with some, that this is a, a mandate that comes from some, mm -hmm. you know, unnamed person that lives up on the, you know, pedestal. So strange the things that we say sometimes inside companies, but um, the, the, the point that I make is first of all, it's it, ask what's in it for the customer. So if my VP says, we're going to go create a brochure that talks about 65 reasons our product is awesome. Well, what's in it for the customer? Maybe that doesn't work. Um, maybe that's too simple. And so in the book, I talk about a couple of questions that you can just ask that, that just sort of subtly get to the same answer. But, you know, like, why, why are we doing this? You know, so maybe you can't say, well, what's in it for the customer? It seems a little too direct. But maybe soften it a little bit and say, well, why are we doing this? Oh, well, my VP said it's important. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Well, what value is it going to bring? That's the second question. Um, well, uh, it's going to make my VP happy. Well, I don't care about your VP. I have a job to do and I'm trying to make customers happy. You know, so, so, you know, it sort of starts to subtly challenge, I think, or at least promote the right conversations. The third question is just as important and it's how are we going to measure it? Yeah, I can't measure the satisfaction of your VP. Um, maybe, maybe you'll say that you're, you know, you won't get fired and that's the way you're going to measure his or her satisfaction. But the point is, um, teams don't exist to support the whims of, of, you know, of, uh, uh narcissistic executives. So, <laughs> right. Correct. Uh, no, <laughs> no disagreement, um, on that, but you know, so one of my pet peeves actually is as well, when, uh, when some executive says, um, this person's team, right? Like, it's like, they're the owner of that team. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, but so I have seen companies I mean, like MedTouch, who, who was, of course, just acquired recently. Um, I think Sprinkler does it, too. I've seen it with other companies where they send out surveys, right? And they say, how happy are you mm -hmm. or, or something? Yeah. Um, do, I mean, what do you think of those? Are they, yeah. do they help you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk a lot in the book about a, a couple of other books that inspired me over the course of my career. One, uh, and you're talking about like kind of net promoter score, net promoter score. Some people love it and some people hate it. The, it's really not that controversial. It basically just, it, it's an organization that at least has the, the, the concern at all to ask mm -hmm. their customers if they would recommend them to another. Um, I think that can be wildly uh, uh, successful and transformative because it tells not just the customers that you care. And I worked in research for a long time. There is an effect that happens when you ask someone how they're doing, they actually feel better. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know the scientific name of that, of that effect, but it, it's, it's been documented, but it also tells the organization that you care about what your customers think. It tells the employees who service those customers that those customers will be asked how happy they are. And so, you know, there's many famous examples like Zappos and, and many others of, of, you know, customer obsessed organizations. And that customer obsession really starts with an organization that has put happy and referable customers as a, as a key metric and value. 
Um, and so, you know, this gets very, you know, very quickly to this whole idea of what, what does a customer centric organization do? And it, you know, it comes down to, if you are the CEO, if you're a small company or you're the CEO, it, it means just making customer satisfaction, um, you know, a, a, a known value in the company. So two of the books I talk about, one is Jim Stengel's Grow. And Jim Stengel was a former CMO at P&G. And I love his book because it basically says he looked at or he had a theory that that companies that were nice, <laughs> companies that had a purpose that was bigger than what they sell um, would be more successful. And sure enough, he looked at stock prices and he found that purpose or value driven companies have a 400 percent higher stock price than those that don't. And it's not that the companies that don't are necessarily documented to be mean or evil they just don't say that they care about anything other than making a profit and then the second book is a little bit older and it's called the service profit chain and it was the first business book i ever wrote uh, ever read voluntarily and the theory behind it, it was also a harvard business review article anybody can go look up but it basically just said that companies where happy employees are are engaged in their work create happy customers that refer that company and that company sees higher profits. It's very simple. Happy customer or happy employees equal happy customers equal happy, you know, shareholders. Um, so why don't leaders spend more time making their employees happy? And, and this is really, you know, what it kind of comes down to. What kind, what kind of tips do you have for the bosses? How, first of all, um, first of all, let me circle back to the net promoter score. Yeah. From my, from my experience has been the people, the companies that have a high one, they love it. And the companies that they're low or in the negatives, I've seen those before. Mm -hmm. Um, they usually go, they don't, they don't like they them. Don't they hate them. them. Right. They, they go, Oh my goodness. <laughs> there is a, it's not the best measurement. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you, know? you only hate it when it says you're bad. <laughs> but yeah. when you see those minus, I saw one the other day, minus 69 and they oh, went wow. to minus 35. So, Ooh. so they really improve, but yeah. they're still, they're still pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, so it starts with self-awareness, right? If I don't yeah. know that I mean, yeah. for example, how, how do people figure it out? Yeah. Figure out that they're mean or potentially mean, or parts of them are mean, right? There's a spectrum, yeah. probably. Yeah, well, so, I mean, for, for individual managers, I, I um, you know, I, I propose, I, I don't, first of all, I, I would never say that you should either, that, that anyone should judge anyone. Um, in fact, a lot of people that I used to work with were like, hey, am I in the book? Is, is this person <laughs> in the book? And I said, no, because that would be mean. I, I'm not going to call people out. I do call out some people that were, uh, inspirational to the book and, and supported me in my career, but I didn't point out any of the mean managers I've had. The, the thing that I just say is, is if you're a manager and you have a team of people that you're managing, instead of having one-on-ones every week or two weeks where you want to just ask your people what they do and, and because you think your job is to figure out, is to know what they're doing, um, I, I, I suggest people reverse their thinking. And instead of setting up a formal kind of a weekly or biweekly meeting, just check in with your team every once in a while and ask three simple questions. So I always try to simplify things. One is, how are you doing? Because when we see people as, as actual human beings, we treat them better. Um, so ask them how they're doing. And maybe it's just in a professional way, like how's the job going? Um, you don't have to ask, you know, how's, how's your wife and kids or, you know, or how's your husband and, uh, you know, and his, and his, his mistress, you know, we don't have to ask those kinds ah. of questions, but, but I think just ask how, how are you doing? How are things going? The second is how am I doing? 
Now that's where it gets, whoa, you know, people are like, wait a second, what does that mean? It means that your job as a manager is not to find out what your people are working on. Your job as a manager is to support your team. I call them champion leaders. And then the third question is even better. And it's, what can I do to help? You know, it's very simple, right? It's, it's like the conversation you'd have with a friend, except in a, in a management context, it completely changes. It, it totally reverses really in many ways, the way that, that managers have managed in the past. Um, so, you know, so again, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't point out who's mean and why they're mean. I really just try to offer up practical tips for, for leaders to be, you know, to be better for, for individuals, uh, you know, to push back against maybe a mean boss and for, for managers to be better managers by just trying to focus on supporting and championing the ideas of their team. Mm-hmm. So, when, so I was going to ask you, if you say, how are you doing? I, mean, I can just see people go, oh, fine. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you ask, uh, how are things going? Right. right? I mean, yeah. what, and then, uh, I mean, how, how does that typically go? What would people say and how do you yeah. recommend people work? Yeah, no, it's funny. Like I, I had a couple, when I first, um, my first millennial quote unquote um, <laughs> employees, um, you know, I had all kinds of expectations and all the literature said they were going to be one way or another. And, and I was actually really surprised at how much feedback they wanted. Um and so, you know, the first two, I had two kind of at the same time, two millennial women who were really super smart. And I was so lucky to have them on my team. And, and that was the way I managed them. It was just, you know, every once in a while we'd get together, have coffee. And, and I would just, you know, how's it going? And, and they, you know, they would have lists. I mean, I remember one woman had like a three-page list at one time. And, and it was just, it was so awesome because I felt good. It felt good for me as a, a slightly more senior, you know, uh, professional to be able to provide guidance to her because she wanted it, not because I thought it was my job. Um, so that was, that was kind of rewarding. And then, you know, and then just to move into that, how can I help and, and how, what barriers can I remove? And, you know, to, cause I, you know, it really, what it comes down to is, is promoting happy employees because they're more productive, they're more effective. And, and, you know, they're the ones that, that create an environment that, that touches other people and starts to create a positive environment, even outside of your team. And so when people, I'm, I'm actually a fan of that too. People bring in a list, right? Yeah. And you have a meeting and I, and I do that too. I'm a, uh, four years ago, I would have told you, Michael, um, base camp is just not the, the way to do anything. Um, <laughs> and now I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a base camp groupie. I make okay. lists in base camp. I take the list, you know, into a meeting uh, and then you can check it off or you can assign it to yourself or those kind of things. Um, but how do you get people to to have that conversation with you? I mean, is it, um, wh- how do you get there? Like, what are the steps? I mean, I think it just really starts, you know, with building trust and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said, getting to know people as, you know, as a human being, um, is important. And, and, you know, that we just, like I said, we've, we've lived in this society and there's so many companies, the, uh, oh, what's it, there was a, the luggage company away. Mm-hmm. Right. If you saw the news. Um, they just fired their CEO. She was a founder of the company. Um, they, they, they would not allow employees to email each other. And the reason hmm. they ha- have, you heard this story? No. Okay. No. So if you look it up, it's pretty interesting. Away luggage fired their CEO. Th- so they had this, this, this theory of, Hey, we're going to have a collaborative workspace. Cause that's what all those kids want today. You know, we're going to have open floor plans and no emailing to each other because we're going to collaborate on Slack. And so they had all these Slack channels. Well, it turns out the CEO would use Slack channels to publicly berate employees. 
she would send you know send out company wide you know slack messages like why hasn't this gotten done and why are you you know so stupid to not do this and all these kinds of like personally degradating you know abusive kinds of things and so when um i think it was uh oh i can't remember the news outlet that that kind of exposed some of these messages the board fired her imme- immediately why why did it take a journalist researching that company you know it's it must have created this you know terrible sort of you know victim mentality inside the organization for all those employees to listen to that she built no trust she built a mm-hmm. culture of fear and and that doesn't work for anyone it doesn't work for the company it doesn't work for employees and obviously it didn't work out so well for her and, and so you know i think it just starts with just being human you know realizing that we're we're real people we we, we you know we have stresses and we have spouses or partners or you know, uh, health issues or whatever it is and, and try to, you know, start with, with really promoting the value that, that, that we have to care for each other in order to be more successful. And that's kind of the, that's the subtitle of the book is, is, you know, how empathy leads to bigger profits and a better life, because it's counterintuitive to say that if we care a little bit more, we can actually be more successful because the myth is that if we're mean and we we're hard driving and we beat people up along the way that we're going to be more successful. That's, that's only a myth. Uh, you know, there's a few anecdotes in, in, in the course of history where that's true. The large majority of success comes from uh, people that, that are helping each other, you know, helping the, the sort of ecosystems around them. And I mean, we've talked about that a hundred times on here. It feels that you have to have a deeper goal than, than just profits. I mean, yes, we yeah. all want to have profits. We all want to make money. Um, but in a highly competitive market, I mean, yeah. how, if that's the only thing, I mean, you got to go a little deeper. Um, that's certainly not news. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that, that's, you know, that's why this is important. I think for those of us in the content world, because it, you know, it really gets to, I mean, my Venn diagram explanation of content marketing is, you know, on the left circle is the why we're awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the right circle is, is what people care about. And that's pictures of <laughs> babies and kittens and puppies. And and the overlap is really the content we need to create. It's it's not self-serving. It's also not completely selfish, but it's it's thought leadership. It's education. It's information. And you know, one of the biggest challenges I hear from content marketers all over the world is, we've had a little success, but how do I scale it? And the answer, and this is you know, we've we've known each other for a while, and you know that I've been a big proponent of this. The answer is in your employees. Get them mm-hmm. to share what they know. You don't have to pay for it. Find the people that want to do that, that want to build their personal brand, that have expertise and passion and and let them, you know, let the encourage them to do and talk about what they love. And that's really the answer. Just friendly reminder. And I did blog about this before as well on AuthenticStorytelling.net. The FTC is considering employees, influencers. So you do have to declare that yeah. you work there. But yeah. on the other hand, I mean, if you're talking about the company, what's the point of not saying you work there, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, exactly. So it's exactly. kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, I even used to – it's funny. I even used to say um, – when I was at SAP, I used to tell people, listen, I don't care. If you want to write, if you have a passion for cats, uh, that's okay because I'd rather you talk about cats because I know people love cats than to talk about ERP software, because you're going to reach a lot more people with your funny stories about cats than you are with, you know, bits and bytes about ERP software. So talk about cats. And now in the, in the three years I was building a content platform there, no one ever talked about cats, (laughs) but, but my point is the further we go and move away from talking about products, 
the the better well first of all the easier it is from a compliance and a legal and regulatory perspective because if i'm an employee and i say sap is awesome p.s i'm an employee of sap who cares who's going to listen to that message but if i write an article about how someone can can improve their you know build their days outstanding for uh, invoicing um through technology p.s i'm an employee of sap which sells erp you know it, it has a lot more air of authority Absolutely. It feels like I'm asking all the tough questions today. There's no, uh, I'm in journalism mode, I guess, Michael. <laughs> how, how about the people who are just not a good fit, for example, or let's say, I mean, many industries are being upended, right? I mean, we, we see it all over the place. Things are changing, change management is happening. And so let's say we all agree, mean people suck. Mm -hmm. Hard to disagree with, honestly. Um, and then these people just go and say, well, this person is so mean and they really just don't want to do the job how do you determine that or is that uh, yeah what do you how do you feel about that well i mean it depends on where they are so uh, for mm -hmm. example um steve lucas who's a former ceo at marketo and a former colleague of mine from sap um he's in the book and i actually talk about how he created one of the most successful employee engagement programs i've ever seen um and and they didn't hire for cultural fit they hired uh, for diversity uh, and, and wanted diverse points of view and, and, and a, a, had an actual you know, system and program of, of diversity and inclusion in their organization because he believed that uh, happy employees drove a successful company and he, and he saw a pretty big payday because of it. But um, he, had a, he has a term called you know, the, the era of smart jerks is over. <laughs> and, and what I loved about that is, is Steve was, when I was at SAP, one of very few nice guys uh, or gals who sat in the executive level of, of the company at SAP. And, and luckily, their CEO, who just stepped down recently, Bill McDermott, built a team of, of empathetic executives around, um, you know, around Steve before he left. But, but um, you know, so when you're the CEO, it's easy. Satya Nadella in the book from CEO of Microsoft talks about building a culture of empathy. And it started by firing abusive. Isn't that crazy? That mm -hmm. he had to actually have a program in place that identified, well, they already knew who they were. <laughs> they had abusive managers. And he just said, you know what? If we're going to be an empathetic organization, we need to let them go. Uh, why wasn't that a, a program before you decided to have an empathetic organization, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I think cult, companies have this natural instinct to believe that mean managers are, are, the, are the right ones. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then on the other hand, we have Google, and I forget the term that they use for uh, uh, creative geniuses is, 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 is I think, it's, it's something like that. Uh, something about the creative geniuses who are disruptive of the work environment, that they believe those, those individuals are worth protecting. And they've gotten into a lot of trouble for that because those individuals create, you know, pain for tens, hundreds, thousands of people, depending on where they are in the organization. So that's the conversation from a leadership perspective. But if you're an individual employee, you know, I, I offer in the book a couple of different steps you can go through if you have a boss that sucks. And, you know, it starts with asking who, what they want, trying to figure out, you know, meet with their peers and stakeholders and triangulate what it is that they want, you know, present that business case, use storytelling. I talk about those. And then the fifth step out of five is if none of those things work, leave. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes if you're a not mean person in a mean cultured organization, 
it's either it's either stay and be miserable or leave and go have an impact somewhere else. Yep, very very interesting. And people can check out the book, MeanPeopleSuck.com. Yep. And it's it's out now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been out since October. Um, we got up to I think it, it officially an Amazon bestseller. We were number one in the day of release. Uh, we, we got it up to into the top, uh, the, the high teens in organizational uh, design and, and theory, which was pretty cool because we're sharing uh, space with Charles Duhigg and Seth Godin and a couple other famous folks. But um, yeah, it's doing really well. So check it out on Amazon. It's narrated by me on Audible as well. Um, would love anyone to check it out and give me a review, uh, honest review. Um, currently, we've got more than 35 all five-star reviews. So I'm really, really proud of that. But um you know, I almost feel like I need a four-star review to make it look real. <laughs> so if anybody wants to give me a solid four-star review, go for it. That'd be awesome. <laughs> this is the first time somebody has been on here and asked for a four-star review. <laughs> um, all right. Good. Michael Brenner, thanks for joining us. The author of Mean People Suck. Um, don't be rude out there. Um, move things forward and, and create things that matter. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Stories win.